Um, last week, well, welcome to our second week in our Sing sermon series. Um, obviously, I get really excited about this uh, sermon topic. In fact, I went so excited that I went like 15 minutes long in first service. So I'm promising not to do that to you guys, okay? <laughs> Swing for the fence. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what comes out. Um, but last week, Pastor Chris reminded us that it is fitting to praise the Lord, that praise befits the upright from Psalm 33. And he reminded us that we per- must first know him to worship him, then we treasure him, and then we share him with others. And so my real prayer is that we would treasure Christ more as a result of this series, that we would see him and that we would love him and that even our affections, our emotions would kind of catch up to our brains. Does that sound good? That'd be kind of nice for some of us. So today I'm entitling the sermon, Why Sing? Why Singing? What, what is it about singing that God has has given in, in his design that, that makes it a good and useful thing for us to do. And so that's what I hope to answer today from uh, two passages. But before I get there, I want to ask just a couple questions for reflection. Does God really want all of us to sing? Wow, see, that's not even for reflection. You guys are adamant about these answers. Is it like an opt-in, opt-out thing where, like, if you like singing, you should, and if you don't like singing, you shouldn't? No. Is singing only for the people who are actually good at singing, and then not for the people who don't sound as good, shall we say? Okay, never. Lord forbid it. Um, Or is it something simply just for the emotional people? So the emotional people in the room, they like the singing, but then the cold, calloused people, they don't. Is that that what it is? No. No. All right, I've actually, many people have told me before, like, I just don't like singing, and this isn't pointing at anybody in specific, I've heard it so many times, I just don't like singing because I just don't like my voice, or uh, I'm just not as emotional as you, Jared. <laughs> How am I supposed to take that? I don't know. Some of them tell me, in fact, that they're just not emotional at all, and to that, I, I want to just spend the introduction here telling you two pieces of evidence as to why I know that that's not true. Okay, number one set the scene. It is 2011. Go back in time a little with me. 2011. It is the NFL playoffs. Very important stuff, guys. Very important. NFL playoffs, it is a wild card game where the underdog, the Seattle Seahawks, I think they were the underdog in the game. Either way, where the Seattle Seahawks were playing against the New Orleans Saints. Okay? It is in the fourth quarter, and if you know nothing about football, that means it's almost the end of the game, okay? Fourth quarter, there are just around four minutes left to play. The Seahawks are up by three, and evidently they're trying to run the clock out. So what do you do when you want to run the clock out? What do you do? You run the ball, keep the clock moving. You don't want an incomplete pass, you just want to keep it moving. So it's second down, and they're running the ball. I mean, who runs the ball anymore? The Lions don't even know how to play, let alone run the ball, okay? Sorry, I had a little jab. They run the ball on second down. Who runs the ball? Marshawn Lynch. Have you ever heard of him? Marshawn Lynch runs. One fan records this run live as he is up in the nosebleeds, and it is incredible footage. In fact, it's so incredible that I want to show you all of the non-emotional people in the world as Marshawn Lynch runs one of the most amazing runs of history. Check this out. Come on, man. 
Take note of all the non-emotional people in the stadium, please. Get off me. Do you see these non-emotional people like I do? Look, take a look. Look at their faces. They're so stoic. Look at them. They look bored to me, don't they? That guy right there, he's not happy at all, I could tell, okay? So those are the non-emotional people in the world. Those are men, okay? Her. Thank you. Her. Those are the non-emotional people. But it's not just women. Sometimes women say that they're just not that emotional either. And to that, I... Uh, I won't show a video clip, but I'll just describe to you with my soothing voice one of your favorite moments, okay? That moment in that five-hour romantic drama, which will not be named, when Miss Elizabeth Bennet finally acknowledges that her feelings for Mr. Darcy are, in fact, quite the opposite. Remember this moment, ladies? Oh, okay, okay. And he finally says to her, this, it's just so romantic. You guys got tissues ready? He finally says to her, I have been a selfish being all my life. As a child, I was given good principle, yes, but I was left to follow them in pride and conceit. Such I might still have been, but for you. <laughs> Dearest, loveliest Elizabeth. I actually wanted to act that out with Pastor Chris, but he wasn't for it. <laughs> okay, one box of tissues later, and I'm just going to call the bluff, okay? Human beings, to be human, inherently means that you're an emotional being, okay? There are no Spocks in the world, really. You get the thing that somebody cares about in front of them, and they will respond. They will. And we know this to be true, don't we? Think of your own life. Think of my own life. I know the things I get really, really fired up for. And I know oftentimes, even me, yes, as the worship pastor of our church, sometimes when I gather together with our church family, sometimes the last thing I want to do is my job. And that's leading worship. And I love my job. And I love leading worship. But some days come and you're just, you're not there. You're feeling a little cold. So I understand that. But we are human beings, and so we have emotions. Now, this is like my, I have a dream speech, okay? Just really excited about this topic. Actually, too excited in first service. I got to tone it down a little. No. Um, as a worship pastor, I would love it if everybody in our church, myself included, every single Sunday prepared our hearts the night before, thought, you know, I got to get a good good sleep this night because I want to be alert and ready in the morning. Maybe that's why you guys come to second service. I don't know. But I want to be alert and ready in the morning to sing the Lord's praise. I, I, I want to use my mind. I want my emotions to wake up out of their slumber, and I want to worship the Lord with my church family. Sometimes it's like that. Most of the time, it's a little bit different. I want us to sing. This is my speech, right? I want us to sing with such passion that our voices get hoarse and we can barely talk again just in time till next Sunday where we do it all over again, okay? But I've learned something in the over 15 years I've been leading worship. Almost 10 at our church, by the way. Isn't that cool? 
almost 10 years, I've learned something. I cannot make any individual, myself included, sing passionately for the Lord. In and of myself, in and of yourself, I can't tell you he's worthy so much so that you grab a hold and that you want to let your emotions catch up to our brains. I can't pick the right semblance of songs that moves in such a musical way that trips it in all of us. And then this worship experience is like, oh, angels come down and sing. I can't do that. I can't do that. Some churches, I think, try to do that. And they try to set up this, this uh, experience, so to speak. But I can't stir your affections for the Lord. I can try, but it is not me that will make you want to worship the Lord. Nothing can make us see God's worth except for this. We need to look for ourselves to see the worth of the Lord. We need to look and to see. We need to see with spiritual eyes. We need to behold the Lord as he actually is, as he's revealed himself to be. And when we do that, I think we can't help but respond in song. I think that's what the Bible teaches, and we're going to explore that more today. In 2 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, Paul is writing to the church, and he's saying that when one turns to the Lord, he says a veil is removed. And earlier he's talking about how Moses would wear a veil, but how there is this veil over the eyes of the Israelites where they were unable to see some things that were right before them. And so Paul tells us, New Testament believers in his day and now us, he says, but when you turn to the Lord, guess what happens? The veil is removed. And he says in verse 18 that we all, with unveiled face, are beholding the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So this is why I say we need to see him as he is, and that will cause us to want to sing. Okay? That's where we're going today. Today, I've entitled the sermon, Why Sing? Because I want us to see from the scriptures many reasons why we are to sing. And I'm going to try to go through these quickly because I think they're pretty self-evident. But the first one is this. Open up to Colossians chapter 3, please. And if you will, please stand with me. Colossians chapter 3. This is verse 16, and we're going to spend much of our time here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody there? Three people are there? Are you everybody there? Okay, good. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, you may be seated. That is the word of the Lord. The first reason why we sing, if you're a note taker, number one is this. We sing to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. You see that there at the beginning of the verse? Paul wants the word of Christ to, to dwell in them, and this happens as we sing songs. That's one of the reasons why we sing. It's to get the word of the Lord into our minds into our hearts to inhabit us. 
All right, this is one of the most astounding truths to me still to this day. I can't get over the fact that the God of the universe wanted to make himself known to us. And this is why we have the scriptures recorded, right? Thousands of years of, of God speaking to his people, it being compiled, and this is the canon of scripture. Thousands of years later, we still have it, and it's still true, amen? God has wanted to make himself known. He didn't stand far off and say, I, I hope they'll figure me out. He said, no, no, no. I want them to know me. So much so that I, in the Old Testament, he comes and he tabernacles. He dwells in the midst of the people of Israel. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in each one of us. And he wants his truth, his word, to dwell in us. He wants it to make its home inside of us. This is why superficial Bible knowledge of like, I think it says, you know, somewhere, something about like, I don't know. No, no, the Lord wants us to know his word because when we know this, we know the truth and we're not subject to false things. Okay, he wants this to live in us, but notice that he doesn't want this just to dwell in us. He uses a word. He wants this to dwell in us. How? See it there? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He wants this to be an abundant, deep, rich knowing of who he is. Because I don't know if we know this or not, but our God is inexhaustible, <laughs> which means we could, for, as with our finite brains, we could for all eternity continue to find out more of the depths of who our God is, which means we will never get old even in the new kingdom, the new heavens, and the new earth, we will never get old and get tired of singing his praise because he's worthy. And every day we will continually know just how much more worthy he is. Let the word dwell in you richly. Let it inhabit you. That's the first one. The second one is very interesting. The second one is we are also to teach one another as we sing. You ever thought about this? Part of what we're doing when we sing songs in a congregation is teaching one another and even admonishing one another. So let's look at teaching. We are to recite truth together. The early church has done this. Uh, the early church did this. This was a practice that they did. And also in the Old Testament, truth was sung. The book of Psalms, God gave us the book of Psalms so that we may know true things about the Lord and we may know how to sing and how to praise. Singing is an amazing thing that we get to do when we sing in church teaching one another. And this is a really unique thing if you think about it because every week when you gather here with other believers and you listen to the sounds around you in the room, you hear many people singing things that you need to be reminded of. Does this ever happen to you? You sing things that, wow, yeah, I needed to hear that. And sometimes you need to hear other people sing that for you. Amazing thing. Now, when I was a kid, let's look at the word admonish. When I was a kid, for some reason, most of my Christian life, I think, I thought the word admonish just meant, like, to really encourage somebody. Like, lift them up, you know? Teach and admonish, like, yeah, build up the church. It wasn't until I was a little older that I realized that to admonish someone is not to encourage, but is to warn or correct somebody. You guys probably knew this for a long time, far longer than I did. I learned this, like, last year. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it wasn't that far. All right, so <laughs> admonishing one another. We do that as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is a little bit of a weird example, but I think it will connect with you. 
Uh, one of my favorite hymns, and I think historically in the church, one of the favorite hymns that we've sung is the song, Be Thou My Vision. Okay? We're going to sing the song actually later after the sermon because I think it's such a rich song to sing. Think of how admonishment might actually take place as we sing these words. Think of how maybe other people singing these things can correct your line of thinking or maybe even warn you about the way our thinking and our hearts go, okay? One of my favorite verses says this, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Okay, so riches I heed not. What's heed mean? Okay, it's not something that I... I listen to or let govern me, I don't heed this, nor do I heed the praise of, the empty praise of man. Sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my heart is interested in uh, riches. <laughs> sometimes my heart is interested in man's empty praise. Sometimes those are the things that I seek out. Maybe sometimes those are the things you seek out. All of us have tendencies to have desires for things, but when you're in a congregation and you hear other people singing that truth, it's meant to correct us. It's like a chiropractor adjustment, right? There's something not right in your back, and you get adjusted, and everything's lined up perfectly again, and you see clearly in a moment, and you say, I'm not going to find my joy in money. I'm not going to find my joy in the words, the affirming words of other people. As good as it is to have those encouraging words, obviously that's good, and it's, and it's good to use money for God's kingdom. But the point is, is if we're trying to find our soul significance there, I'm off and I need an adjustment. And when you come to sing these truths, if our eyes are open and we are singing these things together, odds are you're going to be corrected by your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the way God designed this singing thing to take place. Okay, so that's teaching and admonishing. Let's look further into the next line. How are we to do this singing? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. With what? With thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord. Christians ought to be some of the most grateful, no, the most grateful people in all of the world. And if not for any other reason, all of the other blessings God gives us, it's for this simple fact. We were once enemies of God. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were running away from him in our sin. But God, in his compassion and his rich kindness, rescued us while we were yet sinners. And now, none of your sins will ever, ever be counted against you. You are hidden with God in Jesus himself. You are absolved from all of your sins. He will never roll out that list of your iniquities in front of you, ever, ever again. You have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son and you will forever be with him who is the treasure of all treasures. That alone, thank you, Christiana, that alone should cause gratitude to well up in our hearts. Even on our worst of days, even on days where nothing else is going right, guess what? You've been saved from hell. I have been saved from hell that my sins deserve. And because of that, you have a song to sing, and it is a song of gratitude. Grandpa often reminds us, doesn't he, that Christians ought to be the happiest, most grateful people in the world, and I think he understands a few things better than Callie and I do. So, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, that is how we are to sing. Now, let's flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. This is the other passage we're going to look at for a moment. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, 
All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at verse 18 through 21. This is the parallel passage to Colossians 3.16. Paul writes nearly the same thing, but not exactly. And he starts off with a very weird uh, comparison. Verse 18, Ephesians 5.18. Paul writes, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see how there's a lot of similarities between that one and Colossians 3.16? But he starts off with something very different, okay? He says, uh, okay, don't be filled with wine. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled or be drunk, so to speak, with the Holy Spirit. Actually, Boyd talked to me in between services, and he says, it's funny that sometimes alcohol is called spirits. You're going to be filled with one spirit or another. Interesting thought. But he uses this weird analogy, okay? So there is a comparison here, but there's also a lot of contrasts. So first, the comparison. When you are filled with alcohol, you are under the control of what? Alcohol. Good. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, you are under the control of? Okay. You're under the influence. Which way? Okay. He's telling the church, don't be filled with wine. You don't want to be underneath that influence. You want to be underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit. And how this happens is singing. What? It's kind of a weird place to draw that connection, but this is why. That's where the comparison ends. This is where the contrast starts. When you are filled with wine, you become foolish. You ever seen a drunk person before? Not just in the movies, in real life. It's almost like their brain has fallen out of their head. Okay? Don't do this and instead be filled with the Spirit. You ever met someone who is filled with the Spirit of God? Does it seem like they're a fool or do you think that they are wise? Wisdom. Folly comes here, wisdom comes here. Okay, what else? Well, when you are under the influence of alcohol, you lose your inhibitions. You lose the ability to control yourself. Therefore, looking foolish, yes, but you, you can't control yourself like you once could. That's why we don't drink and drive. But when you are under the influence of the Spirit, guess what happens? It's almost as if your spiritual senses, so to speak, are heightened. You see things clearly now when you were reading God's Word that maybe you didn't when you were living in sin. Maybe now you understand things more fully than you ever did because the Spirit's doing His work as you are reading His Word and as you are singing. That's the way God designed it. You lose your inhibitions here. You lose your self-control, but what do you gain underneath the influence of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Okay? That's not where it ends this dulls your thinking. This provides clarity. You see how different they are? This makes people become less human in a way, more like animals, more foolish, embarrassing. But when somebody is filled with the Spirit, never are they more human, reflecting the image of God than at that moment. You see the difference here? So Paul doesn't want people to be drunk. Instead, he wants them to be filled with God's Spirit. And this happens, believe it or not, as we sing and as we sing all types of songs, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all of it, singing is one of the ways 
in which we get filled with the Spirit of God who indwells us. So do you want to grow as a Christian? One of the really good ways to do that is to sing. Okay, next one is, uh, see that notice in this passage, it says giving thanks, uh, right before that, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now hopefully, that line, making melody to the Lord with your heart, is a really good source of encouragement for you who don't think you have a good voice. Okay? Not everybody sounds like Andrea Bocelli. If you don't know him, you should look him up on YouTube for real, okay? Not everybody sounds like that. Some people sound like a bunch of cats fighting in an alley, okay? It's, it, but guess what? That's okay. Is there room for that here in church? For people who are gifted musically and people who are not? Is that okay? Yeah. Yes. It better be, otherwise church is only for musical people. And that's not what we see in the scriptures. Okay? I hope this is a good source of encouragement for you because if, as I said earlier, if you are a believer in Christ, you have a song to sing and you have a Savior to sing it to. And that's an amazing reality. And so when we gather together in worship and I'm, sing, sing with us, it's because I know that all the redeemed have a song to sing. And I know even when we aren't feeling it, it's my desire to encourage you to let it out anyway. But far often, far too often, we tend to get all weirdly introspective and we're like, oh no, the person in front of me is going to hear my voice and they're probably not going to like it or I don't sing as good as so-and-so or this or that or that. And I just want to encourage you in those moments. God gave you your voice. We are to fear the Lord, not men. And we are to sing if you have indeed been saved. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right, some other reasons why we sing. All right, uh, I, one guy, back when I was in college, actually, the guy who was in direct, the director of chapels at the time at Cornerstone, he said something that I thought was very profound, and it's this. Singing is a way in which we pray together. So even, hey, shameless plug for the gathering, come pray, come sing with us on Tuesday evening. End of plug. All right, but he said this. He said the rhythm in a song, that's the, the, t- the timing of the notes of what you sing, the rhythm of a song helps you to sing with other people in the room or helps you to pray, so to speak, with other people in the room. We could all just pray a truth randomly and it would sound very confused. <laughs> but if we all pray together as we sing, we're, we're doing it as one body. And then he said the other thing is, is when we use a melody, when you use notes, that rise and descend and follow various patterns. It is a way to pray together with emotion, okay? That's why we don't go like this. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh, oh, oh my soul. Now I kind of want to try it. Like, hey, Kent City, we're going to rap it this time. No. (laughs) But that's why we sing a melody that ascends. You feel it? Bless the Lord. You want to get to that note, don't you? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Why? That song tends to think that there's about 10,000 reasons to do it, which I think there's probably a few more, but it's, it's okay. I get what they're doing. There's also this vertical aspect of what we do. We mentioned that a little bit earlier as we teach and admonish one another. Sometimes in our songs, we sing directly to the Lord, right? We say language that's Second person, you are holy. You are holy. Other times, we are supposed to be speaking to each other. He is holy. He is holy. The song, Is He Worthy, 
Is he worthy? Church, is he worthy? The answer is, he is. And we're talking to one another. And I, I, I like to make it exaggerated sometimes just because I like to embarrass you guys who don't like looking at people. But sometimes when you sing those songs, I just want to say, don't look anywhere up to the band. You know the words. Just look at each other and pray this for each other. It's a really uncomfortable exercise. The introverts love it. But, <laughs> but it's really helpful because it helps you be reminded that the, even the song we closed with last week, as you go, may you know the love of Christ. Does this make sense? As you go, may you know the love of Christ. Not really. I, I try to look at specific people, even though it's really awkward. You know, look at different people. As you go, my prayer is that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That's why we sing, how vast the love of Jesus. Oh, how deep, how long, how wide, how vast his love for us. Hear that? It's not just me and God time. That's why when people are like, I don't really need church. I got good preachers I can listen to on YouTube and I can listen to good worship songs. I'm like, not well with the body, you can't. One of the reasons why we gather is to encourage and edify one another. Enough on that. All right. Our singing must be, to be biblical worship, must be both thinking and feeling. If you merely think things and you don't allow yourself to feel them, maybe you don't understand the depths of what you profess that you believe. We are emotional beings, right? We get fired up about tons of stuff. My prayer is that all of us in our hearts would have such a walk with the Lord that we get fired up about the things of him and the way he works in the world. So, we sing, we think as we sing, and we also feel as we sing. What happens if we just feel as we sing and we're not using our brains? Some worship songs are like that. You've probably heard them before. To me, that's like a buoy that's supposed to be anchored somewhere, but somebody's went underneath and cut it off and just let the current take it wherever it might go. To me, that's not biblical worship. We need to think rightly, as Pastor Chris said. We need to feel rightly. We need to treasure him. And we need to demonstrate that and show his greatness to the world, to each other here in this room, but also into the world. This is one of the fascinating things about music here. You ever find that music just kind of gets stuck in your head? You know what I think that is? I think that's exactly the way God wanted it to be. I think that's why he gave us music. Now, unfortunately, sometimes things get stuck in our head that are unbelievably annoying, okay? I thought of some jingles that you might like. Before I get there, I want to sing a song that I know is your favorite. This is the song that never ends. Yes, it goes on. Okay, we're stopping that now, but you get the idea. Guess what? The trick of that song is it's on a loop. It never ends. Okay, but those things by repetition, by melody, by meter, those things get stuck in our heads. There's a reason why cultures throughout the world continue to put their alphabet to a song. It's because four, five, six-year-olds won't learn it if it's not. Okay, music catches in our brain more than factual propositions ever will. It sticks with us, and I think that's God's good design. The problem is sometimes we hear... 1-800-588-2300. I did some research. I think that commercial came out in like the 70s. Yeah, that's like a 50-year run. And it's still in there. Okay, this is a good one. Um, I'm stuck on Band-Aid brand. Got it, got it. I think you get the room. Do I need to go on? No, okay, we're good. No, this is how it took so long in second service. No. 
Music helps us memorize the truth. I don't plug artists often, but if you want to memorize the Psalms, do yourself a favor, get out your phone right now and write this down, otherwise you'll forget it. Many of you don't look like you're interested in memorizing the Bible. I won't judge, won't judge. Look up on wherever it is you get your music, iTunes Store, Google Play, whatever. Look up the band, The Corner Room. I've seen them many times at different conferences I've gone to. Their whole goal is to create albums that help you memorize scripture word for word. And honestly, it's really, really good. They have two psalm albums that I'm aware of, and then they have one album in its entirety that's devoted to Isaiah 53. And it's in five different movements of how it walks you through the suffering servant. It's set verbatim to the text that we normally use, the ESV text. So if you want to memorize the Bible, use music. That's why God gave it to us. Okay, next. Most, culture, most cultures were illiterate, and so they used story and they used song throughout history so that people would be able to memorize their history and their purpose. This happens in every culture. You have songs that recount wars or valiant warriors or the deeds or the day of your independence. You have many songs like this. And because I am a fan of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, this is exactly what the dwarves of Erebor do, isn't it? All right, for the 15 of you who really love this, they sing what? Far over the misty mountains call. They're telling their story, and they're telling their purpose, their mission. Isn't it interesting that people have used song that way? Because, I don't know, we tell our history in song. We tell of our purpose. We talk about our mission as we sing and keep proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do, and song is an amazing way that helps us with that. Lastly, actually two more, lastly, it expresses unity with one another. Honestly, our differences, everybody in this room has got differences. Some people think politically right, some people think politically left, some of us have lots of money, some of us have little money, you name it, there's tons of differences. But when we gather as a church family, you know what happens? Those differences seem to dwindle away as we sing the praises of the worthy lamb. And that's the point. And I get excited about that. I get excited for the new heavens and the new earth and what the songs are going to be like when we join our voices, Kent City Baptists, with those who have gone before us, age after age, culture to culture, and we all join together and sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That gets me excited. So when I hear people be like, I don't like to sing, I'm not going to like heaven, I'm like, oh, Something tells me you will when you see him. That's all I've got to say. Also, singing wakens slumbering hearts. We've all experienced this before at different times. But singing tends to warm us up. Pastor Chris alluded to this last week. A coal or an ember by itself gets cold quickly, doesn't it? It cools off when it's in isolation. But when it's together with other people, that fire begins to grow. It stays warmer much longer. And it tends to do that to us. Honestly, during the week, all of us get cold. We don't all come to church ripping and ready to go. No. Some of us haven't even talked all day long, and yet we're expected to sing our hearts out. Like, it, it's a challenge, but singing does tend to waken our hearts and waken our souls. We've all been there when we feel cold, but singing is one of the ways that warms our hearts. All right, we've established why we sing. There are many, many more reasons, but that's all I have time for. But I want to take just a short moment to share with you why we sing what we sing at Kent City Baptist Church, a.k.a. why does Jared pick those ridiculously wordy songs all the time? He never picks the ones off the radio. Those are the ones we hear and know. 
I know you're thinking it. It's okay. I'm not offended. I'm not offended. No, but really, I wanted to share just briefly, in reflections over leading worship for 15 or so years, I have learned that some songs are great and some songs are so bad that they're really not worth putting before people to sing. They really are. And I, you don't want to be mean, and I don't want to step on people's toes, because if you love a song, okay. I'm not here to say you have to like everything I like. We're all allowed our own personal tastes, okay? That is certainly true. But there's reasons why I don't pick a lot of popular songs always. Some of the songs that we do, you'll probably have heard on the radio, or you, know, you might have YouTubed them and you're aware of them, and that's great. But as a general rule... I'm convinced that our worship is faith-forming. And I'm convinced that the songs that I pick for us to sing must be good enough that they teach you something substantial about the Word of God. This doesn't mean you, they're all heady and not emotional. No, no, hopefully they are. Hopefully they're both. But the reality is, is so many times I've done this, even in college, I picked songs because they were popular to people, not because they were good. I picked songs because they were popular, not necessarily because they were helpful. I picked them because everybody knew them, but maybe they said something that was vague at best and at worst heretical. You know those exist? They do. I'm not calling out names. I promise I will not do that. But just because something says something about an ocean and water doesn't make it a good worship song. Sorry, maybe that was a little pointed. We can talk later about that one. But as a general rule, I, I just know that I'm going to be accountable for everything that I teach, whether it be a class or a sermon or the songs that I want to get stuck in your head. I think I'm going to be accountable for the ones I pick. I really do. And I want to go before the Lord, and I want him to say, you led them well. You put truth in front of them. It was, it was building up for them. It wasn't just appeasing emotions or favorite songs. By all means, listen to your favorite songs. Do. That's what you have smartphones, CDs, iPhones, whatever. That's what you have that for. Enjoy your music. But I tend to be anti-CCLI top whatever. I tend to be anti-fad. I try to pick a song that I think is going to last, something that's not just going to be popular for like nine months. Hard to do, and we definitely miss that one on occasion. I've even picked, looked at ones I've picked before at church, and I'm like, why did I think that was a good idea? I don't know. Archive. Very good. And on to the next one. All right. So also, um, I want songs that are, this is the last one I'll say for now, for time's sake. I don't want songs for emotionalism's sake. There's a lot of really, really moving music in the world. You probably have some. There's, there's some soundtracks that I know that are incredibly emotive and moving. But if I don't know what to attach that emotion to, then I generally think it's not something I want us to sing about. So I want us to connect our emotions with our songs, but I want to make sure that we're not just like lighting a rocket, pointing it wherever, and letting our emotions just shoot off into whatever direction possible. I want to make sure we put it firmly in the ground and we know that it's going the right way.